Hey, this is Jordan Sutton, pastor at Clear Path Church. Thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. We appreciate you listening. A little about our community. We love to come together. We love to come to the Lord's table together. Uh, We're a community trying to be led by the Spirit, just walking through Scripture together, walking through life together. If this message is an encouragement to you, bring some hope to your life at the end of the sermon. There'll be a little bit of information about how you can get in touch with us. Stay tuned, and thanks for joining. Zane for leading us. Um, you know, I was just sitting here reflecting back. I don't even remember how many years ago it was that uh, my friend Don Archibald called up and he said, "I want you to meet this young pastor named Jordan Sutton." And uh, the church has kind of recently been started, and I think you all would really enjoy one another. So we met right over here at Dickie's barbecue and it was one of those unusual Dallas mornings that was there was ice on the streets so it took some effort for both of us to get there but started establishing that relationship with Jordan and Andrea and with this fellowship and so it's always been a joy for Suzanne and I to come back and be with you uh, another thing i was reflecting on is you know we sang that song the reckless love of god and I pretty much knew what reckless meant, but I looked it up in the dictionary. And, and basically the picture is it, a reckless person bursts into a situation without regard for the consequences. They burst into a situation without caution. Without caution. And uh, I, I know that it was about probably 22 or 23 years ago, our son, Brennan, was at West Point. He was at the United States Military Academy in West Point, New York. And um, Suzanne and I were here in Garland. Uh, It was on a Friday night. Uh, It was in the middle of the night. We'd gone to bed. We were both asleep. The bedroom was dark. And all of a sudden, the bedroom lights come on, and in walks Brennan. And just completely surprises us. And uh, we didn't know he was coming home. He He got leave. Uh, to come home and uh, we just had a weekend of loving him and him loving us Uh, and and when I think about the reckless love of God is God just bursts in he'll just burst in and he wants to do that in your life and in your situation whatever you're doing whatever you do whether you even are thinking about him or not he will burst in and I know that some just looking on your faces I know you you you're you're remembering you're remembering sometimes when he's done that, just to show his love. He says to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31, I have loved you with an everlasting love. That means it started a long, 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 long time ago. He loved you before there was a you. He says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, because I've loved you, therefore I have wooed you I have drawn you with loving kindness. 
that, that loving kindness. It's the Hebrew word chesed. It, it means loyal love. It means favor. It means, it means kindness. It means, it means because he knew you before there was a you and loved you. When there was a you, he started drawing you with that love. That's the reckless love of God we just sang about. It is. Well, what I want to talk with you and for us to think about for a few minutes this morning is something that's concerned me as I've traveled around for several decades among church people, among Christians. And the thing that has concerned me is what I call a theology of lack. A theology of lack. And how that presents itself, uh, when I started thinking about this and started putting this message together, um, is that uh, I started thinking about the movie in 1991 called What About Bob? And in that movie, in that movie, Bill Murray plays a mentally unstable, uh, obsessive, compulsive patient of this guy, this psychiatrist, Richard Dreyfuss, and actually ends up driving his psychiatrist crazy because he follows him around, bursts into a family vacation, and Bob is always walking around going, I want, I need, I want, I need, I want, I need. That's what I'm talking about. A theology of lack. And it, and it affects everything. If you have this... This, this kind of, of idea that God has not given you some things that you lack, it's going to affect your prayer life. And the way it's going to affect your prayer life is what you pray for. What you pray for. You know, it's, it's, going, to, it's going to affect not only your prayer life, it's going to show up in uh, how you face temptation. When temptation presents itself to you, if you have a theology of lack, then you believe that you don't have enough of what it takes to overcome that temptation. It affects all of our life if we have that kind of thinking. That stream of thinking is that I lack some things. So what I've entitled my message today is a theology of abundance. A theology of abundance. And I want to help us, if we're in that, or if we occasionally find ourselves in that theology of lack, I want to help us to shift our thinking. That's what the word repent means. Shift your thinking. Okay, so let's, uh, let's think about that. I want to look primarily at, at, at a couple of different passages, and they're long passages. Okay? I want to encourage us that we have everything we need to live this kind of life God's called us to live. Already have it. So we're going to look at 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. He's talking about God seeing that He has given His divine power, has granted to us everything. Can, can you all say Everything. Everything. For by these implicit promises, so that by them, by those promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world by lust. Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, 
supply moral excellence in your moral excellence knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. In your self-control, perseverance. In your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities, all these things that we add, are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you, for as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Can you go back to verse 3, please? How this starts. His divine power has granted to us everything that pertains to life and godliness. When I was reading this years ago, I stopped right there at that phrase. Thought, this is going to change my prayer life. It's going to change what I pray for. If I already have everything. If I already have everything, what do you pray for? If you've got everything that pertains to life and to godliness. So it began to shape and change my prayer life. And what I began to pray for was not, God, I want, I need, I want, I need. God, thank you that I already have been given everything that I need. Now I'm asking you today for the grace to access everything that you've given me. It's there. Okay, you can go on to the next verse. I'm probably just going to go through several of these verse by verse. All right, so for by these, he's granted us precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Partakers of the divine nature. Partakers, yeah, absolutely, who wouldn't? Of the divine nature, you're divine. You're divine if you know Jesus. You are. You changed into a different person. You know the verse that it says in, in Corinthians, you're a new creature. You're a new creation. And all, all of your life long, our starch enemy, Satan in his demonic realm, has been trying to get you to not believe that. To believe that you're the old person. That you're the old person. You know one of the greatest weapons I've found in resisting temptation? Is when I'm faced with a temptation to say, that's not who I am. Simple statement. But there's power in that. That's not who I am. Okay, next verse, verse 5. Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply all these different qualities. In your faith, supply them. What does that verse assume? What is already there that we add to? Faith. Faith. You already have faith. It was given to you as a gift. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says, You've been saved by grace through faith, and it's not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. You know, I don't know when I got it, but I had to have faith before I believed in Jesus. Maybe I was given a few seconds before I gave my life to Him. But I had to have faith 
in order to put my faith in Jesus. And it was given to me by God. Paul says in Galatians 2.20 that, he, that he's been crucified with Christ. The life that he now lives. He says, I live by the faith of the Son of God. It's, it's, it's not even your faith that you live by now. It's his. It's his faith. Okay? And I tell you, often, often, especially when I've been praying for other people, and I'm saying, Lord, right now I don't feel like i got a, a lot of faith, but I'm grabbing hold of yours. I'm grabbing hold of yours because I know you got a lot, and, you're, and, and you can spare some. Okay? So you already have faith. All right? And then what you need to do is just add a few things. Add a few things to those things. Now, those are that list that starts off with moral excellence and ends up with love. I do pray for those things. I do ask for those things because it commands me to. Add this to your faith. But we have everything that we need. We have everything that we need. Sometimes in a situation where you start feeling lack, I want to encourage you to just declare the truth, even declare it out loud. So that you will hear it, and every unseen listening ear will hear it as well. I'm going to declare the truth that I that I have enough. I'm I'm going to declare the truth right now. Yes, I'm going to add moral excellence, or some versions say virtue, and knowledge, and perseverance, and so on and so forth. I'm going to live my life to add those things, but I'm not going to ask for more faith. You know, one time the, the, Jesus said something to the disciples and they said, increase our faith. And he said, you know what? You don't need much. It's not a question. It's not a question of whether you need more. It's a question of whether you're using what you have. It's not a question of needing more, of increasing your faith. Do you know that when a normal, healthy baby is born, in their body they have every muscle that they'll have when they're an adult? Every muscle that they'll have. But what does it take for those muscles to increase? Help me. What does it take? Food. Nour nourishment. What else? Huh? Time. Growth. Growth time. Use and exercise. Use and exercise. Same things with faith. When you were born again, when you became a baby in the Lord, you had everything that you needed. It just needs nourishing. It needs time and some track record with God. And it needs lots and lots and lots of exercise. There's an amazing, uh, where was it? God says that he is, a, he is a God who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness. He exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness. You think God's got a lot of those three things? Yeah, but still he has to exercise it. It's kind of like in this storehouse. 
And he just goes and he grabs some. Oh, I need to exercise some loving kindness right now. Here. What happens if we don't exercise it? What happens if we don't exercise our faith? Atrophy. Atrophy. It gets harder and harder to exercise it if you don't exercise it. Uh, I'm going to just camp out for a minute on faith. Okay, because sometimes, again, it's a theology of lack. We lack, well, I just don't have enough faith. That is not your problem. That is not my problem. You don't have enough faith. You just need to exercise the faith he's already given you. You need to exercise. There's going to be opportunities every single day. You know how I know? Because Paul says that we walk by faith. You get up tomorrow morning, you're going to walk. You're going to walk. Sooner or later, you're going to walk. You're going to have breakfast. You've got to walk to the kitchen. Okay? If you're going to get paid for your employment, you've got to walk at least part of the way to work. Maybe even if it's just from your kitchen to your computer these days you got to exercise it there's going to be opportunities every single time and I've told this congregation before one of our mentors John Wimber used to say that faith is spelled R-I-S-K faith is spelled risk you've got to risk it because Paul goes on and says we walk by faith but not by sight how much of our lives do we live by, by sight? How much of our lives do we, we're in the midst of circumstances and we look around at what's going on around us like Peter did walking on the water and we sink. <clears throat> 24 years ago, Suzanne was diagnosed with cancer. And it was a very, very bad prognosis. It was one of those uh, prognoses that the, the oncology doctors kind of give you the worst case scenario. They feel like they've got to, you know, for the sake of avoiding malpractice suits. They gave us a very, very bad prognosis. Okay, but sometime around that same time, we were trying to remember last night when it was, maybe within the first week of that prognosis, God gave her a dream. And in that dream... He showed her that he was not going to deliver her from this cancer, but he was going to deliver her through it. And said so the whole time that we walked through her surgery and, and through chemo, she had a lot of chemo treatments through lots and lots of radiation treatments. For about two years, it was kind of a touch-and-go kind of a thing. But all through that, we were holding on to that dream. All through that, we were walking by faith and not by sight. And here she is, 24 years later. <laughs> In all her beauty. <laughs> we just celebrated 52 years of marriage the other day. Yeah. You've been given everything you need, including faith. You just need to exercise it. 
First, you need to believe that you have it. Believe that you have it. And step into it. Okay, let's go to the other passage. Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14. All right. I love this passage for a number of different reasons. And one is, is in the Greek language, in the text in which we have the earliest manuscripts here, Paul starts at verse 3, and it's like he's taking this really deep breath. And in the Greek, from verse 3 to 14, it's one long sentence. It's one long sentence. Now, most English translations, we break it up, you know. We, we, you know, we can't have our uh, attention span that long. All right, but let's go. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Say every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. To the praise of the glory of his grace which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he purposed in him, with a view to the administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth, in him also we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who are the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. We've been given every spiritual blessing. Already been given it. That's past tense. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're following Him, you have every spiritual blessing. And in this passage, Paul begins to enumerate what those things are. All right, let's go back to verse 3. It's like before. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. It's not just blessings here. It's the spiritual blessings that God pulled out of His storehouse in heaven, in the heavenly places. Okay, what's in heaven... We're commanded to pray heaven to earth in the Lord's Prayer. Let heaven come to earth. Okay? This is part of the prayer. Every spiritual blessing that you've been, that you've been uh, blessed with is heaven come to earth. Okay, next verse. Verse 4. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. One of the blessings is you're chosen. You were chosen. You know, when I wake up in the morning, again, I've, I've mentioned this uh, here before, uh, as soon as I'm cognizant, as soon as I have the, the mental ability, uh, I, I thank God and I say, God, I thank you that you're my father and I'm your son, your favorite son. And then I take that phrase that's in Colossians 3 and I said, I thank you that I am beloved, I am chosen, 
And I am holy because of what you've done in my life. And I declare that every day to remind myself of what I've been given. You have been chosen. Out of however many billions of people there are in the, in the, in the world today, you were chosen. God chose you. And he chose you for a purpose. That you'd be holy and blameless before him. So he's committed to that. He's committed to you and me in our lives of bringing us through the process of being who we already are so that our life would match our identity. You have already been declared holy. Okay? You've already been declared holy. Now he just wants our life to match up with it. Years ago, in our church right over here in Garland, um, I was uh, preaching one day. And in the middle of uh, my message, I just said, <clears throat> look, if you're calling yourself a Christian and your life doesn't match up to it, quit calling yourself a Christian. And there was a guy sitting in the, a guy sitting in the congregation. <clears throat> he and his live-in girlfriend had just been driving by the church that morning. And he turned to his girlfriend and he said, we need to start going to church. Let's go here. And they just pulled in to the parking lot and came into the church. So when he heard me say like say that, he said it was like a two before hitting him right square in the face. And he gave his life back to the Lord. He'd become a Christian when he was a kid. But he'd walked away. He'd walked away. But you have a holy calling on your life. To match up with who you are. Who you really are in God. Okay, next verse. In love, he predestines to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. One of the spiritual blessings is you've been adopted. Okay? Now, do not think of adoption as being second rate. All right? Paul is writing this into a Greco-Roman culture. In that culture, adoption was such a special thing. What if, and it was done by the wealthy, the people who had a lot of money. And if they didn't have an heir, they would go find a family that was hurting financially and they'd say, well, we're going to pay you X number of dollars and we're going to adopt your son. And when that transaction took place, they had this big, huge ceremony this big ceremony and that, and, that, and that boy or that girl that was adopted became officially a son or a daughter in that family with all the rights and the privileges and the responsibilities of that family. That's the idea when Paul was writing right there to those Ephesian believers. They knew about adoption. And that was, it was like, yes, we're adopted! <laughs> Uh, my oldest son, Jason, and his wife, Allie, years ago, went to the Democratic Republic of Congo. And they went to an orphanage, and they ended up adopting a little boy. His name there was Jean-Baptiste, John the Baptist. <laughs> so we changed that to Johnny. He's now Johnny Wallace. And Johnny now is 16 years old. So he's lived almost 10 years in our family, in our extended family. And he's just as much a son as Jason's other two sons. He's just as much a son. 
Adoption isn't second rate. It is a spiritual blessing. And look at this. God just said what, didn't say, well, God, I guess I've just got to adopt John Wallace. No, according to the kind intention of his will. He was excited to adopt me. He was excited to adopt you. He couldn't wait. When I gave my life to him, I was 21, almost 22 years old. And he was going, it's about time. Come on. Get with it. Let me start giving you the family blessings. Next verse. Another spiritual blessing. To the praise of the glory of His grace. To the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the beloved. You were given grace. Grace upon grace upon grace. How much grace do you need? You got it. There's always enough grace. Grace upon grace. He doesn't run out of grace. Grace is power for living. It's power to empower you to live the kind of life He wants you to live. Next verse. We have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. You really believe you're forgiven? You really forgive, you were forgiven of everything? The enemy so often has come to try to tempt me to believe I haven't. The first semester that I was down here at Dallas Seminary, I was walking across the campus going from one class to another, and all of a sudden, this horrid, awful thought and picture came into my mind. I mean, it was slimy. It was slimy. I kind of tried to shake it off or whatever. I went to class, and I got out of class, and I'm going to another class, and the same thing happened, same vision. Slimy, dirty, filthy thing. And so for about a day or two, you know, I, was, I started to think, what in the world was I thinking about trying to go to seminary? This kind of person that I am and the kind of thoughts I'm having. And then I was walking again and that, that thought, that picture came to me and I went, oh, I stopped and I went, I remember, I remember exactly where I was. I stopped. I went, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. This is an attack. This isn't who I am. Maybe it was who I was, but it's not who I am. Why? Because I've been forgiven. The slate's been wiped clean. And the enemy can't come to me or to you to try to remind you of stuff that happened back there that in God's mind doesn't exist anymore. You've been forgiven according again to the riches of His grace. Next verse. That he lavished on us. What does it mean, lavish? What does that word mean, lavished? When you think of something being lavished, a lot. A lot. Yeah. Yeah. You know, lavish me with homemade ice cream. <laughs> God, in the kind intention of his will, he said, I'm going to pour out on him more than enough. More than enough. More than enough. In all wisdom and insight, next verse, he made known to us the mystery of his will. Can you, can you understand that God wants to give you his mind? In fact, in 1 Corinthians 2, at the end of it, it says, we have the mind of Christ. 
Now, I know that you believe that, quote, theologically, biblically, but what does that look like in your life, that you have the mind of Christ? It means that you can think about things the way Jesus thinks about them. Ask him questions. If you're in the middle of trying to make a decision, say, Lord, what do you think about this? When you're having a relationally hard time with someone, Lord, what do you think about them? He can give you the mind of Christ. I mean, don't you, don't you think that Jesus is our example of think that he, his thoughts were God's thoughts? He was thinking with God, not just about God. He was thinking with God, God's thoughts. He's our example. You have his mind. It's an abundance. It's a theology of abundance. You already have his mind. So just start resourcing that more. Start thinking with him. Again, according to the kind intention of the will which he purposed in him, verse 10, with the view to the administration suitable to the fullness of time, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. Hey, you've got the blueprint of eternity. You've been given the blueprint. You know what's ahead. You know what's ahead. A lot of people don't know. The future is kind of foggy. But we know. We know what's ahead. Yeah, I keep stepping on that. So sorry. Everything's going to be summed up in Jesus. You know, when I, and I don't look at the news every single day, but every now and then I check, I check, check in with the news to make sure California hadn't fallen off the West Coast. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, and I read about all of the stuff that's going on in our country and the world. And I just, and I just got to say, Lord, thank you that all things are going to be summed up in you. I thank you that when you return, you're going to bring justice to the earth. When you return, that all the wrongs are going to be righted. That when you return, Lord, all the children, all the children that are starving are going to be fed. Lord, when you, when you return, you're going to father the fatherless. When you return, Lord, all things are going to be summed up in you. What a blessing to know that. That's an anchor in the midst of this chaotic world that we're living in. Is to know the spiritual blessing of knowing the end result. Again, in him, verse 11, also we've obtained an inheritance. What a spiritual blessing. You've got an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose that works all things after the counsel as well. <clears throat> you have an inheritance. I have an inheritance. I was talking on a, on a Zoom call a few weeks ago with a bunch of Christian leaders, and I brought up this whole idea of inheritance. And one of the guys, his dad, my spiritual father, Jack Taylor, passed away two years ago. And his son, Tim, who is the publisher of my books. I've written a number of books. Tim's my publisher. But Jack had, had amassed quite a bit of an inheritance, and he, uh, financial, real estate, et cetera, et cetera, and he gave it to Tim and to Tammy, Tim's sister. 
two siblings. He left this inheritance to them and to his, to his wife, Frida, to the three of them. He, and Tim said, I received this inheritance and I realized that I could retire right now, that all of my children and grandchildren can go to college on the basis of what my dad left me. What an inheritance. Guess what? He's talking about something more for you and me. Something more eternal. Something richer than that. An inheritance. You've inherited it. Verse 12. To the end that we were to first hope in Christ. Okay, and then he, yeah, verse 13. And 14, in him you also, after listening the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, 14, who's given as a pledge of our inheritance or a down payment of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Another spiritual blessing, you got the Holy Ghost. You got the Holy Spirit. You've got the Holy Spirit to live your life. You've got the Holy Spirit to move and work through you. You've got the Holy Spirit to tap you on the shoulder saying, John, you better not do that right now. You've got the Holy Spirit. And guess what? He's only a down payment of the inheritance. He's only a down payment. Those of you that are homeowners and you know how much you had to pay down. But, you, you know, you probably, unless you had cash, you probably didn't make the full payment of the house. You made a down payment, right? That means you, you, got, you got skin in the game. <laughs> You've got skin in the game. The down payment, I don't know. Let's say, let's say it was 20%, okay? So let's, let's say that every single time the Holy Spirit moves in and through you. Every time you have an experience with the Holy Spirit, it's 20% of what's coming. It's just 20%. It's wonderful. It's great. I love it. But it's just part of what's on the way. You've been given every spiritual blessing. You've been given everything that pertains to life and to godliness. In 1 Corinthians 1, we're not going to look at it, but Paul opens up this, this letter to the Corinthians, and in it, in it he, he mentions to them that in everything you were enriched in Him. In everything you were enriched in Him. Now, he's writing this to the church, and like I've said before, there ought to be a Texas translation of the Bible because where it says, in everything you've been enriched, it means in everything y'all have been enriched. All of y'all. All of y'all have been enriched. He's writing to a church. And he says, look, church, you're, you're rich. God's given you everything you need. And one of the things that he talks about later on is the, is the issuance, the dis distribution that the Holy Spirit gives the spiritual gifts. You've got every spiritual gift in this, in this local body. All of them. You've got all of them. So I just encourage you, encourage you to exercise them. Because if you don't, the body's missing part of, part of itself. It's missing part of itself. You, Clear Path Church, have been enriched in everything. 
You, Clear Path Church, have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. You, Clear Path Church, have been blessed. You have everything that pertains to life and godliness. It's a theology of abundance, not a theology of lack. I'm going to end with one verse out of Philemon. I don't know how many people had your quiet time in Philemon lately, but here it is. This is what Paul prays for Philemon, this guy. I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing that is in you for Christ's sake. I want your faith to be effective. Effective. On the basis of what? That you begin to understand everything that's in you. Every good thing that's already in you because of Jesus. I want your faith to become more effective. That's my prayer for you this morning. That your faith will become effective on the basis of everything God's already given you. Let's pray. Lord, what, what can we say to uh, a God who is such a giver? Thank you seems inadequate sometimes. Uh, but I th thank you that we will be able to say thank you for eternity. Thank you, Lord, for everything that pertains to life and godliness. Thank you, Lord, for every spiritual blessing. Thank you that we have everything, everything, by being enriched in you. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I just, uh, yeah, thank you, Jesus. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this episode from Clear Path Church in Dallas, Texas. If you'd like more info to visit us on a Sunday morning or to subscribe to our newsletter, check us out at www.clearpathdallas.com. Follow us on Instagram at clearpathdallas. Thanks for listening.